Um, what, what the signs that, that we are looking at in the book of John um, are leading us to is we understand, and I talked a little about this last week, but we're, every week we'll, we'll talk a little more, is that we want to, um, uh, we, we want to look at God's glory. We want to, uh, to reclaim his majesty. Not that he's lost it, uh, but I, I think that we've lost view of his majesty. And what we need to do is we need to take a moment and step back and really kind of bask in the quote that I've been sharing with you, not only last week, but for a few months now, that comes from J.I. Packer. And it says this, living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life in the sight and company of an omniscient, omnipresent creator. Now, when we realize that we're always in the presence of God and he is all-powerful and he's all-knowing and he is um, all-sufficient, that should change the way in which we do things. And I love also that J.I. Packer goes on to say that the lack of acknowledging this truth, the truth that God is in heaven, he's seated on the throne, he is majestic, in a sense, he has uh, um, reign and power and control over everything. When we, when we lose or we lack the, the, the acknowledging of the truth, uh, a couple things happen um, that J.I. Packer uh, um, identifies. He says that our, our faith becomes feeble and our worship becomes flabby. And, and no one wants to be feeble and flabby, right? In, in any sense. I, and I think that it's, uh, when we look at this, we can say, yeah, you know what? I don't want my faith to be feeble. And I don't want my worship to be flabby. So I need to, to, to get a better view. And maybe for, for some of you, it's going to be a renewed view of the majesty of God. For some of you, it's going to be a new view of the majesty of God. Whatever it may be, I think it's, it is clear that we need to see God for who he is. And the Bible is clear that in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that we have the exact imprint of the Father. Right? So in John chapter 20, that's where we're going to start, and then, then we'll, we'll, we'll launch from there. Because in John chapter 20, we get the understanding of why John, why he wrote this book. He says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So it's not only just now believing. He says, okay, first and foremost, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he goes on, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So as we read that, and as we're going to go through these next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven signs or miracles in the book of John and how they point to uh, revealing Jesus as the Son of God. Now remember, Jesus being the unique Son of God, we need to understand that because that is true, he, um, he has the same attributes as uh, the Father. So, so what, 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 is, what does that mean? I'm, I'm, I, I wrote this down just so we can kind of clarify this. Um, an attribute is a quality or a feature regarded as a characteristic or inherent part of someone or something. So this is, is who he is. This is displaying who God is. So if anybody says, well, I, do, I, don't, know, I, don't, I don't know anything about God. God's so mysterious. No, God doesn't want to be mysterious. And he has given us his written word so that he doesn't have to be mysterious. 
We can know who God is. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on the person and the work of Jesus. All right. With that, we're going to get in. When we're starting this off awesome. I mean, water into wine. How, what better, better way to start, right? I think it's significant that Jesus started off in, in uh, uh, it says that his first um, miracle or first sign here um, that he did in, in Cana was turning this water into wine. So uh, turn with me to John chapter 2. And let me read this story. And uh, as, I, as I read it, just, just think about, you know, okay, how is, how is, is Jesus being revered, or revealed, I should say, as um, the, the son of God? Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And I love this because you can get on a map and you can see exactly where Cana is. You can see exactly where the, the region of Galilee. This is a, a specific place at a specific time. This is, is um, somewhere where we can see, put our eyes on this location, uh, which gives even more uh, reality to what it is that Christ did here on earth. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus, was, or Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. I, I don't know why, but I think that that's, that's significant um, because Jesus must, must have been somewhat cool, right? He, he wasn't too crazy of a, of a religious fanatic that people are like, well, you know, I, I don't... Remember that guy standing on the corner with that sign that says, turn or burn? I ain't going to invite him to my, my, my party, right? That wasn't Jesus, right? Are, are we alive? <laughs> oh, okay. So, th so there was some likability to, to Jesus uh, in, in the sense that he was invited to this wedding where his, his mother was. He took his disciples and it says, um, when the wine ran out, so it must have been a good party. So when the wine ran out or just you know, improperly prepared, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, now, now when we understand that, that, that they, they talk a little bit different than what we do. This, he's, he's not being uh, disrespectful to his mother here. He's identifying who he's talking to. And he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? And in, in the, the original, it says, really, what does this have to do with me and you, you and I? So he's including himself in here. He's not just like, woman, what do you want me to do about it? He says, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to him, or said to the servants, which is also interesting, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Up to this point, Jesus didn't say he was going to do anything, right? There, there's something, though, that, there was about, that, 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 that Mary knew about Jesus, that she knew that Jesus was going to take care of this. Now, we know all the way back to uh, Jesus' birth, it says that the, the things that were said about, um, about him, Mary treasured up in her heart, Right? Now, now, do not jump to any conclusion. Like, um, Mary was not some uh, supernatural being. Mary was just a, a, a normal human being as well as you and I are, are sitting right here. She had no supernatural power. I know that there's been some that have ascribed some supernatural entities or whatever to the Virgin Mary. She was a normal person. If Mary were sitting here today, she'd be like, no, 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 there's nothing special about me, right? You need to be looking at my son, looking at my son. And I think that that's important because it shows us that those who were around him said, this is who we need to look to. When there was a problem, this is where she went. It goes on to say here, 
Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Now, I, I think that I could preach all day long about um, the Jewish rites of purification and what, took, or what takes place with that or what took place with that. I don't want to go in that vein. I want to go to the, the, the vein of the, the size of these jars. It says 20 to 30 gallons, and there were six of them. Um, I'm not a huge math guy. I was not a math major. I mean, but I know that that's like 120 to 180 gallons, right? Everybody's like, you, everybody's do. Uh, put, I got my shoes off, so you can take your shoes off and do the math. Three, four, five, six. Yeah, but 100 to 20, 120 to 180 gallons. To fill up these, 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 these uh, jars here. Um, pretty significant. We'll talk a little bit more in a second. Jesus said to the servants, and I love that because he said to the servants, he didn't say to his disciple, he didn't say to the, the, the bridegroom, he didn't say to anybody else, he said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now, they didn't just fill them up halfway, they didn't fill them up three quarters away. It says they filled them all the way up to the brim. Did they know what he was going to do? No, at this point they didn't, but they were obedient. They said, he said for them to fill them, so, he, so they filled them. Now, now, think about that. Again, this is not getting the garden hose, pulling the garden hose up and just, all right, that one's filled. That one's filled. How, how, do, they, how do they fill these? From a well, right? There's a lot that's involved in this. So it probably took a little bit of time. So, so think about this, as, as they're doing this, his disciples are kind of sitting around like, you know, man, what, what are, what's going on? What, what, what exactly, what are they doing? Because they probably had made multiple trips. I don't know, even just again, if, they, if it was a five-gallon bucket, I, I don't know how big their buckets were then, but I'm thinking of a five-gallon bucket, and even if they were only uh, 20 gallons a piece, so at 120, somebody do the math, so 120 gallons at five gallons, how many, how many bucketfuls is, is that? 20, 24, 24? So, somebody said 24, I know it wasn't, did you have your calculator out dad, no, um, that's the gene, that's the, the carpentry gene and the math gene did not pass to me, um, I don't know why, so at least 24 buckets full if it was 120 gallons, but if it was 180 gallons there's a few more, right, so it, it had to take some time to do this, and I think that that's one of the things that we miss when we, when we uh, read the Bible sometimes, is that we, we think that, okay, Jesus said, go fill them. They went, boom, they're filled, and the miracle happened. And, but there, there's time that elapsed. Jesus said for them to go do something, and they were obedient in doing it, and it took some time for them to do it, not knowing really what was going to happen. It says, and he said to them, now draw some out, and take it to the master of the feast. So remember, they, all they did was dump it in. All right, Jesus, we got it all dumped in. He's like, okay, now draw some out. Wait, wait, wait a second, you don't want to add anything to this? You don't want to say abracadabra, hocus pocus, or poof, or throw any pixie dust or anything on it? I don't know if they had pixie dust there, right? Maybe, I don't know, I doubt it though. Because um, Peter Pan was afterward with that, right? Yeah, never, never, I don't know. Anyhow, it says, that he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Again, this is interesting. The servants, not the disciples, the servants were commanded by Jesus to fill it up. Now, now take some out of it. 
they didn't really know who Jesus was at this point. But, but they, were, they were listening to what, what he had to say. It says, so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first sign Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So something happened there. We, we understand that, that after um, the, the, the servants took the, the, the water, now it was wine, they took it up to uh, the master of the feast, uh, which he, he, he drank it. And he said, well, wait a second, this is better than the stuff that you, you gave us to start with. You've been holding out on us, right? He, he said, that, well, you're supposed to, to give the, 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 the good stuff first, so at least people are, think that, you're, that you've got some good, good wine for us, but then you give them the poor stuff after everybody's drunk freely and they you know, are, are, are a little bit tipsy and whatever. They, they, they're, they're happy. They're glad. That's what the, the term the Bible uses. They have gladness on their hearts. But the bridegroom's like, well, you know what? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what happened. Master of Feast, I don't know what happened. Who knew what happened at this point? The servants knew what happened. They're sitting there like, yep, yeah, you yeah, don't know what happened, but I do. I know exactly what happened. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But it, it says here that, 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 that this whole reason that Jesus did this, and understand that Jesus did not stand up in the middle of the feast at this time. At this time, I'm going to turn water into wine. That sounded cool, though, didn't it? Yeah. He didn't do that. He knew, though, that his disciples were watching what he was doing. And he knew that the servants that were doing it were, were paying attention to what was going on. And he did this, this sign, private, but still public. He did this sign so that his disciples would see who he is. And I think that as we look at this, and the way in which I want to go with this in the next few minutes here, is that Jesus revealed not only his glory, as if that's not enough, but Jesus revealed an attribute of God that I think that we too often take for granted, and that's his goodness. So the attribute that Jesus reveals by... Him, by turning water into wine, is that he is good. And it, it reveals his goodness. Now, now, for some of you that have been in church for a while, or if you've read your Bible, you're thinking, okay, wait a second, that, that, makes, that started to make a little more sense because Jesus said that there's none good but God, right? So if he's displaying his goodness here, and he's displaying his glory, and he's showing his, that he is good, what is he saying here? I am God. He is the son of God. He, he's the unique son of God. He has the attributes of God. Now, some of you will ask, okay, I, I get it. What, what is goodness? Because goodness kind of envelops a whole bunch of different uh, characteristics or a whole bunch of different things. I just wrote a few down that I think that it, it kind of um, uh, uh, helps us get a better idea of it. Um, that goodness is like is kindness or he being helpful, merciful, gracious, loving, caring, favorful, pleasure, delight. You, you're all getting the, the idea. 
The goodness of God is something that is so very wide that it sometimes it's hard to put our finger on. But God's goodness is not just something that he um, uh, uh, holds for a select few. We know that God's goodness is for all of his creation. He provides for all of his creation. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust, right? I think that if we, when we look at God's goodness and we look at this turning water into wine, how is that good? Because in that situation, he met that need that needed to be met. Yeah, but he, he caused them to be drunk. Right, hold on a second. We're, we're going to talk about that in a second. Maybe you're in the, the, the vein, well, it wasn't really wine, alcohol. It was just grape juice. That, 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 that whole argument doesn't hold, doesn't hold any, any weight either. Just, but don't, don't, don't feel that if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm hitting your nerve, don't, don't feel that, like I, I, that, that it's something that you have to defend. Because I, I put on Facebook last night, uh, that um, we don't need to protect people from the Bible. We need to expose them to it. I think too often what we do is we see things that are difficult in Scripture and we try to explain it away. Instead of just reading what it says. Here it says Jesus turned water into wine. Same Greek word that, that, that Paul uses uh, throughout saying do not be drunk with wine. You know, and he also says do not be overtaken by wine. Same same Greek word used there. So this is not something like, well, it was just grape juice. No, it was wine. It was alcoholic beverage is is what he is talking about here. But we'll we'll get into that in a minute because I think that that's significant. And some of you are like on the edge of your seat. Oh, I I want to talk about that. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll get to that. It's kind of like a cliffhanger. So you pay attention to the first other couple points here. But the first point I want to make is that God is good and he expresses his goodness in so many ways. He expresses his goodness in so many ways. And because he expresses his goodness in so many ways, what we can see is he cares about his creatures. Now, when I say he cares about his creatures, I'm talking about all of humanity here. We're going to refine it a little bit here in a second, but he he cares about all of his creatures. And what I wrote down here is that God is concerned about the well-being of his creatures, and he does things to promote it. Now, how, how, is that, how does that all play out? I don't, I'm not going to explain all of the details because I don't know all the details. But God provides rain is a good one that I already used. It says it rains on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. It waters the, the, the ground so, so things can, can, can grow. There, we understand that there are certain things, there are certain provisions that God um, provides for all of creation. And I think it's also important that uh, we have to, to, to understand that, of, of course, and I, I know you guys are, are on, on the same page with me, but of course, uh, God is interested in doing what is morally, and not only morally, but um, what is morally good and right. And, and when we say morally good and right, this is what the Bible, uh, the, the writers of the Bible, uh, they, 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 they kind of capture this, and they use terms like righteousness and holiness, like God's always, always, all the time about doing what is righteous and what is, what is holy. But this righteousness and his holiness ultimately is for the well-being of his creation. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I think that we understand that a little bit, I don't want to say better, but more maybe than maybe someone who doesn't believe in Christ, hasn't put their faith and their trust in him. 
But what we need to understand is that God being morally good and right, his righteousness and his holiness is not so that he can be the, the, the one who sits up on the throne and throws lightning bolts at people when they screw up. No, God cares for our well-being and God knows what's best for us. No one in here I know has ever made a mistake. And I know I'm talking to the, 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 the angelic choir here, right? We make mistakes. We, at times, do not know what's best for us. God knows what's best for us, and he communicates that which is best for us. Now, when he communicates that which is best, is not so he can be uh, controlling and domineering, and, and uh, the, the word I like is capricious. He's not up there waiting for us to, to, to mess up. He, he says, okay, here's the best path for you. Now, it's your choice to take it or not. It's, it, it's kind of like, like Gabe. I can tell him, all right, buddy, you are going to prosper the most. Because in, in, in my thinking, buddy, you, you need to get an education. And then after you get an education, you need to get a good job. And, you know, I can put all of these good things in front of him, but it's not up to me to, for him to choose to do that, right? In the same sense, I mean, on a grander scale, God puts before us what is righteous and what is holy, what is just, what we need to live a, a life that is, um, Jesus said that it is abundant, a full life. He gives us all that we need, but we have to choose to follow that. So I, I think that as we, when we, we kind of wrap our head around this, we can understand that his goodness is there and is evident, but we're the ones that chooses to, to jack that up. God really puts things in place so that we can have a full life. And we're going to see that it's not just focused on us. We're going to see where the focus really is, but we, cannot, but we have to view our lives with the understanding that he's on the throne and he, has, he does have rules. God does have commands. He does have instructions, but they're not to restrict us. They're to give us life. When we went through the Ten Commandments series, it, it's, it was, the whole purpose was to see that God's rules gives us a life, gives us a, this abundant life in which to operate in. I, I love what uh, James chapter 1 says. James chapter 1, verse 17. Some of you probably have this memorized. But it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So every good gift, everything that comes is from uh, the, the, the Father. It comes from God. Matthew uh, 7, 11, uh, talks about how uh, if we uh, as um, good parents can give good gifts, how much more can um, our Holy Father, our Heavenly Father give us? I, I, I love to think about this because when we're talking about um, God's goodness, we, we cannot think that God is holding back from us. God wants to give us, and this is not prosperity gospel at all. It's not like if you have enough faith and you can have this. And No, 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 no. But the, the reality is our heavenly father wants to provide for us, and he's provided many things that we've chosen to jack all up. Anybody in here give me an amen? amen. Mm-hmm. Or, or you're sitting there like, yeah, you're right, man. I, I did jack that up. Oh, oh, okay. We, we, we understand that, that that happens, but we have to understand that the reason God gives us that, that is because he is good. And he wants us to be provided for. It, it, it says that he knows our needs. He knows our needs before we even know our needs. 
says that we're supposed to pray for them. Give us today our daily bread. That's not just our food, but that in which we need to sustain us for the day. As we kind of look through that, a little sub-point, I guess, of God's goodness being expressed in many ways. Talk about the goodness for all of creation. But there's a, a, a special, and I'm going to say a reserved goodness for his children. I love this, this verse. It was, it's in Psalm uh, 31. And as I was studying this week, I come across this psalm. Uh, and uh, I've read it before, but it didn't really hit me until I, 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 I was thinking about it in, in the context in which we are, we are uh, dealing with today. So turn to Psalm 31 real quick. Psalm 31, verse 19. Because in Psalm 31, verse 19, it says this. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. So, so understand that he, he's, there, there's a distinction there. there he's talking to um, children of God versus children of mankind. And he's saying that, that, that there is an abundance in, his, in, in God's goodness that's been what? It's been stored up for who? For his children. So, so that, that uh, and I, I think that out, people outside the church can say, well, that's where you guys are just all arrogant. All Christians think they have it better than anybody else. I, no, I, I don't think that that's true. I think that we just believe what the Bible says. It says that he has abundance. He has goodness. He has blessings stored up for us. And it, it, it's stored up for those, and it's just not those who are going to say, yep, I believe in Jesus. It says, for those who take refuge in him. Just think about that. When do you take refuge? How, how, many, how many think about that like, on, like you, you, you take refuge in any, at any time? It's not usually a word in which we use because of the country in which we live in. But there are places that people are being persecuted and they take refuge in a safe place, right? Or let's think about a storm. If it's lightning and thunder and it's a big hurricane, you're going to take refuge out of the storm. That means you're going to position yourself, and I love this, under the mighty hand of God, right? So at the proper time he may exalt you. You've heard that verse, 1 Peter 5, 6, right? It's taking refuge. It's saying, I am found, I am safe within God. The storm may be going on all around me, but I, 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 I'm, I'm living in, I'm uh, building my refuge, or I'm taking refuge in the truth in which he has stored up for me. I, I, I think that part of that, and this is where some of you guys have really been uh, chomping at the bit here, so we'll get there. Um, in taking refuge, maybe it's not necessarily something bad that's going on in your life. Because I think that sometimes the people say, well, a bad thing has to happen so that you know, I can, God can, can identify himself and you know, I can take refuge and all my trust and hope is in him. Well, what about when things are going good? Because I, I, I love how uh, the, the Westminster Catechism, it says in, in the, the, the first question, it says, what is the chief end of man? It says, man's chief end is to glorify God, but it says, and to him, enjoy him forever. So we don't have to wait until something bad happens in our lives to see God. Should we look to him at that time? Absolutely. But I think that when good things are happening, we can see God just as well. 
Because I, I think that, that one of the things that, that we, we've, we've failed to identify is that we were made not only to, to uh, glorify God, but one of the chief ways in which we can glorify God is enjoy Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. One of the, John Piper said that, and I, I love that quote. God is most glorified in us, meaning in our actions, through when we are most satisfied in him. We, we, can be, we are satisfied in what he has done, but that means that we need to enjoy what he has given us. And, and that's where I, I want to take this because I think goodness, and um, we, can, we can see God's goodness in sometimes some people, and I'm not saying any of y'all, maybe you know somebody, sometimes some people sabotage themselves when things are going good. And they're like, well, this, this must not be, God must not want, I mean, because things are just going too good. Now, how about God is giving you this moment, this situation, this blessing, whatever it is, to enjoy? I, I, and I think that, that, that there are things that come in, and there, there's a whole list. There's a myriad of things in which we can look at and we can identify as God giving to us for our enjoyment. I, I, I just put on uh, this list here today, uh, three, maybe four, we might get into the fourth but um, things that God has given us for our enjoyment. And, and, and it, to keep in context with what it is we're talking about, I, I'm going to talk about wine. God gave that to us to enjoy. Now, when I say enjoy, the Bible is very clear. Not to be drunk, not to be overtaken. And this is what the, the, the words in which the Bible uses. Not to be drunk not to be overtaken, not to be addicted to, or controlled by. So what we need to look at is, okay, wine in and of itself, and I'll just say alcohol, all right? This is where people want to make the big distinction. Alcohol in and of itself is not bad. Now, am I standing up here and am I telling you, um, is God, does God allow drinking, or is drinking allowed by God? Um, yes. Should everyone drink? No. Yes, God says it's okay. And as we're going to see, I'm going to use two other things to, to, to illustrate this. I'll give you a little hint. Food and sex. Think about it. Is it okay to, to drink? Yes. Does God say everybody should drink? No. no. All right. Food. God gave us food. God gave us not only food for sustenance so we can get nourishment, God gave us food to enjoy. If anybody thinks that that's, that, at least I got one amen, right? <laughs> Our Baptist roots are just kind of fading away because if we're back, we're like, yeah, bring on the buffet, right? No, but God gave us food to enjoy. How do we know that? Because he gave us taste buds. Do we need to have taste buds? No, we don't need. But he gave that so we can take our, our, our filet mignon that's cooked medium, hot, hot pink center, uh, and, and you, you can cut it. Or you, uh, my, my favorite is, is venison backstraps. We're, we're, oh, oh, buddy, now we're preaching, right? We're, 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 you take the fork. You don't even need a knife. You throw the knife and stick it in the wall. You just take the fork and you just cut that, that backstrap with the fork. And it just like melts like butter in your mouth. <laughs> there will be at the marriage supper of the lamb <laughs> venison backstraps. I'm telling you. But God gave us that to enjoy. But what did he tell us? 
Don't be a glutton. So remember, we're talking about enjoyment. So he gave us wine. He said, don't be a drunkard. He gave us food. And he says, don't be a glutton. To, to keep on with this, 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 this thought process, think about sex. God gave us sex. Sex was not something that the devil made up. Sex was something that God predetermined in his plan. And if you remember in the beginning, some of you are already starting to squeam a little bit. Oh, don't talk about sex. Your kids aren't in here. It's all right. Maybe you should have that talk with them, though. Um, but in, in the beginning, it says when God created and he looked at, 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 at mankind, he looked at Adam, he looked at Eve, and he said, this is good. Part of that was he looked at what he created as sex was, is good. Now it is taken and it has been destroyed by the fall. We, we know that there are biblical confines for sex, just like there are biblical confines for partaking of alcohol and for eating food. Sex is confined to marriage. The Bible's clear about that. So we, we understand that, that, that. Now here, remember, when we, when we look at this, remember why God gives us this. Turn back a little bit in your mind of, he gives us these righteous and these holy commands, instructions for our well-being. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He knows what's best. Yeah, but God, she's so hot. Yeah, but just, just follow me. Just follow me, he says. Just do what I say. It's going to be so much better. The Bible says that he, he, he has prepared for us more than we can even imagine. More than we can even imagine. So the, the confines of, of enjoying wine and enjoying food and enjoying sex, it doesn't stop there. I, I think that um, the, the fourth one is time. It's it, time. It's, it's time. We need to understand that there are biblical confines of time as well. We are told not to neglect God. We're told to make sure that we have time set aside for him. We may not observe the Sabbath like the, the Jewish people observed, but we still need that rest, that time that we can commune with God. And I think that that's one of the, the, the killers. I, I, I don't think it's as much... Um, alcohol or, or even gravy, uh, I think it's more of the time issue that we just run ourselves ragged. And then our lives just start to, to, to explode around us and we're like, what, what's going on? Well, God made a, a holy and a righteous way in which to manage that time. And what we're doing is we're choosing, like, I, I've got this better. My, my daily planner is better than what God has for me. Now, now, everybody can push back on their own ways. Well, I got to do this. I'm not saying you shouldn't do things. I'm not saying that you should all be, you know, monks or nuns. I'm not, not saying that at all. But I, I think that, that um, understanding that we're to be good stewards of everything in which God has given us is the point. Good stewards of our, of our time, our talents, our, 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 our treasures, the, the way in which we interact and, 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 and um, the way in which we glorify God. Because these confines are to be, and this is where we have to, 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 to really look at this, this, this whole picture with wine and with food and with sex and with time, is that these are to be enjoyed. God gave us these to be enjoyed, not to be worshipped. They're not to be objects of worship. What does that mean? If all you think about is it's five o'clock somewhere, 
Punch in the time clock so you can go home, so you can get your, um, I don't know, whatever you drink, Miller Lite, Michelob Ultra, or Summer Shandy, or Jack and Coke, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> wild turkey. <laughs> right? I don't know. If, if all you're thinking about is that, you're worshiping that. If all you're thinking about is getting to the first in the buffet line, you're, you're worshiping it. Now, are those things bad? No, those things aren't bad. But it, when we take something that is good that God has given us and we turn it into a God thing, meaning that we turn it into something that we, we worship, that is when it becomes dangerous. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever, whether you, you, you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do. I love how he just puts that in there. He's, he's talking about, before this, Paul's talking about um, that in which was sacrificed to idols, meat which was sacrificed to idols. He talks elsewhere about uh, being drunk with wine. So he's saying, if you're going to eat meat or if you're going to drink wine, whatever, eat or drink. What, or, how about, let's just put a, 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 an exception clause for everything. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, what does it mean to do it all to the glory of God? I, I think it's understanding that um, God is, uh, because of his goodness, he wants us to um, enjoy that goodness. He wants us to enjoy him, not his stuff. We glorify God by what he is, through what he has given us, and we take that not so we can say, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me, or thank you, thank you, thank you, I got all this stuff. God's goodness is for his namesake. God displays his goodness, and he displays it and expresses that in many different ways, like we already talked about. But we have to understand that it is for his namesake. Remember, we talked about name last week. It's his nature. For, because of who he is, he does and he gives and he blesses and he answers prayer. Not for you, not for me, but for him. Now, do we, do we reap the benefits sometimes? Absolutely. Should we not pray? No, no, no. That's not what he said. The Bible is very clear in which we are to pray. But we understand it's so his name can be made, made great. So his name can be glorified. Let, let, let's, let, let, let's, let me prove my point here. In, because some of you are like, wait, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I believe you or not. Turn to Psalm 23. It, it, it's everybody's favorite or one of your favorite psalms. Which... Um, Hey, while you're doing this, on a plug, uh, next summer, we're going to spend the summer, I'm calling it uh, a summer in Psalms, or Psalms in the summer, whatever. Anyways, the, the whole point is, throughout the summer weeks uh, um, uh, next year, we're going to be going through different Psalms. And I, what I want to do is I want to go through your favorite Psalms. So make sure you're, you let me know, or one of the elders, or somebody know, hey, I'd like to do this. Because there are a bunch of weeks so that we can get through a bunch of, of, of different psalms. I think there's like 16, 12 or 16 different, I'd have to look. But anywho, not psalms, there's a bunch more psalms than that. But weeks in which we can go through those psalms. So uh, as a plug, be thinking about that. But let me prove my point that God is good for his name's sake. Look at um, Psalm 23. I, I just do the whole thing I, I, because it's, it's awesome. This is my grandma's favorite psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, hold on a second. Do you see that it's he, right? He makes, he leads, he restores, he leads. 
And then it goes on to say, why? He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. So, so just think about that. Why does he lie me down in green pastures? For his name's sake. Why does he lead me beside still waters? For his name's sake. Why does he restore my soul? For his name's sake. Why does he lead me in paths of righteousness? Anybody? For his name's sake. I love that. You guys are catching on. What does this have to do with goodness, though? What does God's namesake have to do with goodness? Well, a, a, a little lady named Shirley has something to do with this. Some of you are like, I get it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That, that your rod and your staff, that is your law, your correction. That in which you have set forth. Remember, we, we were talking about, wait, wait a second, I don't like what God has to say about this, that, about wine, about sex, about food. Okay, but it's his rod, it's his law, it's his way, it's his word. It's there. Why? It's to comfort you. It's to comfort me. It's to lead me in the right direction. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy, or my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And this is where that Shirley lady comes in here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, may, I, I, pay, I poke fun at that. Surely goodness. It's not a little, little lady named Shirley. Although everybody has pictured a little lady named Shirley, right? No, it's that goodness. He's saying surely, certainly goodness. But not only goodness and mercy. What is Mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. God's goodness and God's mercy. It says here, right there in verse 6, it shall follow me all the days of my life. How does God's goodness and how does God's mercy follow us? It's because we're following on his path. Even though that, that we may not completely understand everything. And maybe we don't even agree. Some of you are like, I don't even agree with what you said today. That, 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 that's fine, because I use what the Bible says. And remember, we don't need to be scared of the Bible. We don't need to protect people from the Bible. We need to look and read what the Bible says. And we need to push everything else away that's kind of uh, obscuring our view. I, I wrote something last night in my notes uh, uh, about that. that you, you all know, I, I'm, I love theology. Theology is like my life. I love theology and I respect tradition. But, but sometimes theology and tradition, one or both, they, they, they kind of get in the way of what the Bible really says. And, and we've been so programmed to think this way or think that way that we don't want to think any other way and we miss the words that are being spoken to us. What we need to understand is God cares about our well-being. Not only physically, but most importantly, spiritually. And our spiritual well-being, the Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He cares about us so much, he says later on, for the wages of sin is death, but the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All have sinned, but there's a gift, there's a way in which we can have life. Then he goes on to, to say, and you all, you all know this, that God shows his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. He cares so much about our spiritual well-being that he gave the ultimate sacrifice. And then he go, and Paul goes on later in, in Romans that says that all who call on the name of the Lord or everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
That's how we know that he cares ultimately for our spiritual well-being. So if we're going to look at the goodness of God, we can look at it in what he's given us here, but understand it's the spiritual well-being that he cares most about. I want to end with this. And I put this in my application part. I took a quote from a a theologian, a guy by the name of Feinberg. He says this, Because of God's goodness to believers, our lives should exemplify that goodness to others. Man, just think about that. Because of God's goodness to me, I need to exemplify that to others. How would things be different? Just think about it. How would things be different if we did a better job of reflecting God's goodness to one another? In this crowd here of, I don't know, 7,500 people, whatever it is, if every single one of us took seriously that I want to show God's goodness today, tomorrow, this week, think things would be, there would be a noticeable change in your life. Just think about that. Because I, I believe, I believe this. I, I've told you guys, I believe that you all here, we really want to, to, to do what pleases God. And one of the things that, that brings God the most glory is when we display his goodness to one another. 